Hi, I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. So for today's show, we have a guest who has built not just one incredible company, which to be fair is an impressive achievement already, so let's just start there. Building one successful business is something to celebrate, but when you're able to successfully build and scale multiple businesses over the years, well, you're in another league altogether. And that's why I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with Marcia Kilgore. Marcia is a serial entrepreneur in the beauty industry. And most recently, she founded a new company that you might have heard of if you are a beauty aficionado. It's called Beauty Pie. And it's a business that is disrupting the luxury beauty industry by cutting out the middleman and giving consumers access to luxury beauty products without any of the markup prices you typically see in retail stores. And like I mentioned, this isn't the first company Marcia has launched. She's also the founder of the skincare line Bliss Spa, which she sold to LVMH in 1999. She's also the founder of FitFlop, which is a line of ergonomic shoes. And not to mention, she founded Foam and Substance, an incubator that led to the launch of Soper Duper and Beauty Pie. And with all of those companies under her belt, Marcia has learned a ton about what it takes to take an idea and make it a business. Here's a little bit of what Marcia shared during our conversation. I'd stuffed money under my mattress, right, for quite a long time, just saved whatever I had. But when we were building out the spa, I actually did a calculation. People always say, oh, did you have a business plan? But I'm not really a business plan type. I can see where I want to go. Kind of like, you know, people who can do math really easily. I can see the end and the answer and from the start. Stay tuned for my chat with Marcia. We'll talk all about how she built Bliss Spa, her very unique philosophy on selling a business, how to develop your brand's voice, and why she believes Beauty Pie is her best idea yet. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Here's our conversation. So Marcia, thank you so much for joining me on Girlboss Radio. Really a pleasure to be here. Serial entrepreneur, knocked it out of the park several times onto your I don't know what sixth or seventh or tenth or twelfth business technically fifth okay well seems like let's face it soap and glory (laughs) bliss beauty pie fit flop there's another one soper duper soper duper yeah I mean I don't I just I can't I tried to use one hand to count and then I ran out so you know I want to start at the beginning though Um, because we don't, most of us don't start our careers as like, okay, great. I did this, knocked it out of the park. Um, what did you, what was your first job? Like first crap, anything, not like career, like crap job. My first extreme crap job was, I lived in Saskatchewan when I was, okay. Saskatchewan is like Fargo. Have you ever, remember the first Fargo movie? Yeah. Okay. So it's about 800 miles North where I lived of Fargo, North Dakota. So imagine in the winter, right? like snow up to your eyeballs. And it was quite extreme weather conditions. And I think I was, I must have been in 11th grade, like old enough to have my driver's license. And I was, I used to be a gymnast when I was a kid. And um, I found out about a job where if I drove about 60 miles through the country in the winter when it was dark in my tiny car that probably shouldn't have been on the road, 
<laughs> I could make $15 an hour teaching gymnastics to these kids in this high school, um, you know, an hour away. Now, there were no cell phones. If you were, you know, broke down on the road, you were probably going to freeze to death. <laughs> but it was 15 bucks an hour. And you know what? That was really a lot. That is and a lot. Yeah, it was back then. And, you know, there was a minimum. I think they paid you also for the driving time and they paid for your gas. Now, as opposed to going to get some minimum wage job, which maybe was four bucks an hour or three bucks an hour back that's then. Lo- that's a lot of money. It was a lot of money for me who had nothing. And so I did it. And I, I think I, I convinced some other friend to come with me and be sort of the assistant coach. We had to teach little kids to do cartwheels and, you know, no. but it was an adventure because it was pitch black, you know, that far north in the winter by three o'clock, it's pitch black and it's minus 40 degrees Celsius. And so you're driving in your Mazda GLC, which, you know, with no way to communicate to anybody. And you're in the middle of farm country. And um, I think there were some First Nation reservations. So you would just, you know, drive for an hour and hope that nothing would go wrong with your car. And you'd get there. And if you didn't, somebody would come looking for you. Sounds like it was worth it. it you know, I, I, I netted out 75 bucks every Friday. And for a a grade 11 kid in, you know, 1985. That yeah. was big. My last job in 2006 paid $12 an hour. Yeah. So. I mean, th- yeah, this was way ahead of the pay scale. Yeah. I mean, this is this is still a job, just to be clear. Girl boss is a job. <laughs> but, you know, the last one where somebody else determined yeah, uh, whatever. your fate. The board determines my fate now. Yeah. <laughs> and so does every, well, every no, listener wait. of Girl Boss Radio. You determine your own fate. I don't know. I don't. I don't think about. Fate. I'm just like in the undertow. Yeah, I actually don't know if I believe in fate. Anyway, I don't either. I think you you choose it, right? You I you choose everything. Yes. I'm like this happened for a reason, and then I'm like, no, I'm gonna go happen to life. Yeah. I don't want to let life happen to me, and then I'm like, ooh, eleven, eleven. <laughs> like, there's something happening that's out of my control. It's fun. It's fun to find those coincidences that kind of connect together. But actually, that's just from you being aware. Believing anything is wrong <laughs> so it's like whatever works for you at any given time that keeps you going that's what i said i it's think hope. it's okay to believe any any piece of information is a bit of hope that will keep you going that there is something else when you're you know in the middle of a struggle just any other piece of information right pushes mm-hmm. you forward it's that's what we've got keep looking yeah keep reading it's hiding it's yeah. hiding so what did you learn from your early job like what did you learn from this job well it was the i guess the greater the risk the greater the reward you've taken a lot of risks in your career and i want to talk a little bit about that you became an entrepreneur based on need so your sister had promised you she would pay for your tuition if you went to columbia college yeah columbia university in new york and you got in i did you traveled to the city and upon arrival realized she could no longer pay for school she could not you had 300 dollars to your name i did and she let me stay in her flat. So what was your, how did you build on that? What happened well, next? Well, okay, so when I was going into high school, having had, you know, the gymnastics experience, I actually became a bodybuilder when I was a teenager, just for something to do, you know, because I needed something to do. So I was a competitive bodybuilder. No steroids. I was not Arnold. But I looked kind of like an Olympic athlete. I, I know you can see that about me still. <clears throat> not what you happened? became a bodybuilder. Did, well, I was a bodybuilder when I was in you. I did so. 
This was, again, like late 80s when Jean-Claude Van Damme was kind of around and his beautiful wife, Gladys Portuguese, and it was really all about being muscly. And so when I when I you know got to New York and I was staying in my sister's apartment and I thought I was going to go to school, I joined this gym called Madison Avenue Muscle. And there was another one called Better Bodies. And it's where all of these kind of cool bodybuilding types and the muscly types of the movies back then worked out. So... I was there, and because I wasn't, you know, super muscly and nor famous, uh, a lot of people would come up to me and say, "Hey, I want to look like you. Do you think you could train me?" So I became a personal trainer, and I started to just build a clientele, showing them how to work out and to, you know, get in shape. And one person, if you do a good job, as you know, one person kind of begets the next person and sends you more and more clients. And then my sister was a model; she had a lot of friends who needed to be in shape. They had the agents, the actors, the stuntmen, the pe- and then so people just kind of referred me from one to the other, and uh, I made it a decent living until I could afford to go back to school part-time. Okay. And so went back to school part-time and then fast forward to Bliss. Yeah. You founded Bliss. What happened between bodybuilding and Bliss? What led you to Bliss? So my skin got really bad running around New York without time to, you know, wash my face, I guess. And and I just always had kind of an oily face. And I was getting quite exhausted trying to get up at five o'clock in the morning to make it to my first client at six. And then usually your last client would be some film director or somebody that you'd be up until 1030. And I lived in the East Village, so I had to walk. There was no Uber then either, right? So you were walking from Astor Place all the way over to 8th Street and Avenue B, which was another hour on top of your schedule. And um, I decided that one summer, rather than going out to the Hamptons and being at the beck and call of a bunch of people who randomly wanted personal training appointments, I would take a course in how to give facials. So I went to the Christine Valmy Institute of Aesthetics, and I learned in a crash course how to give facials, and then somehow convinced my kind and trusting clientele who was letting me exercise them to let me give them a facial. So I would go to somebody's house. I'd run them up and down the stairs in their apartment building. I would do, you know, whatever yoga, calisthenics with them. And then at the end, I would give them a facial. But I did have to haul the equipment. I mean, I was haul- I was like military. I would have all the exercise equipment in my backpack, and then I would have a steamer, and I would have all the products. And, the, you know, you have to be young to do this, right, to be taking the subway with 50 kilos of equipment on your back from one person to the next to make 30 bucks. But, you know, it was fun. And then I realized that it would be more sustainable for me if I did want to go back to college and or, you know, university and save enough money to do this if I was doing facials and sitting down instead of going jogging with seven people every day. Because when I was going jogging with seven people every day, I would go to my economics class and fall asleep. What led you to starting Bliss Spa? Well, okay, so then I had a tiny, so I was doing all the facials. And then I had a, a smaller room where I was doing facials called Let's Face It. And then it got really packed. So I got a bigger room and we had three rooms to do facials in. And then when that had a three-year waiting list, I decided that, we should probably expand in the building that we were in, which was on Prince and Broadway in New York. Leo Castelli, who was a famous art dealer, was above us and was closing his gallery. So I thought, you know what? That's bigger. <laughs> and we could build 10 rooms. And I was thinking at the time, we were called Let's Face It before because we really did facials. And I realized at that time, people were really starting to get stressed out. So my clients would come in and they were so stressed. And we would really help them relax and kind of recenter. And that was 
that was 50% of the service, right? It wasn't just cleaning out their pores, which kind of anyone could do, but to make somebody feel really great was was what gave me a lot of joy, I think, and was for me aspirational and more of a challenge to take somebody psychologically from kind of a bad place where they were really stressed out. You know, doing the facial was easy. You can kind of do that on autopilot if you know how. And then to watch them leave and feel incredible and to be charged up and, you know, really feel like they can go and tackle whatever it is they have to go out there and do. So when we decided to expand and have a larger place, I thought to myself, what do I want to give these people? And what do I want them to leave feeling? And so we renamed it to Bliss. And so you started making products. We did. So I realized we were buying third-party products. Um, and I realized after a while that you know they weren't that much better than anything that you could make or find if you visited a trade show. And most people were actually private labeling. And this is really interesting because it's what I've been learning all along through my whole career is that there are probably in the world... I mean, there are hundreds of labs, and they make products for anybody who will come along. Doctors, you know, a lot of the doctors' brands are are made at this one lab in Connecticut. But I can go and buy products from there, too, and I have for 30 years. There's some fantastic, very high-end luxury brands that are made in this really great lab in Switzerland. And I can go there and buy products, and I always have. So the labs aren't really exclusive to the brands. A lot of people will think that, you know, you as a brand own your own lab, but it's very rare for a brand to own all of their own manufacturing, their own chemists and their own labs. And they're they're all these third party luxury, fantastic manufacturers that make stuff for anybody. So many of you are out there running your own businesses, so many online, and I want to tell you about a company I wish I had Back in my eBay store days, it's called ShipStation. So whether you're selling on your own website or selling in marketplaces like Etsy or eBay, ShipStation will make your life so much easier by bringing all those orders together. You'll save so much time, especially with the holiday rush coming. You can use it on your computer, your phone, and ShipStation helps you figure out the best way to ship every package. So you can create shipping labels for all the top carriers locally, globally, including UPS, FedEx, and USPS. And you also get discounts because they are buying in bulk. We use ShipStation at Girlboss and we love it. So sometimes we ship out packages of our coveted sweats which you may have seen on social media. We're going to sell them at some point. we got to figure it out. We're doing a lot of things here. So take the hassle out of holiday shipping this year. Right now, Girlboss Radio listeners get to try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code GIRLBOSS. So see for yourself why ShipStation is rated number one by online sellers. Just visit ShipStation.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter code GIRLBOSS. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. And then Vogue. 30,000 phone calls. Oh, that. Vogue covered your cream. Oh, your- yeah. That was bonkers. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was great timing because I had actually built Bliss with... I'd stuffed money under my mattress, right, for quite a long time, just saved whatever I had. But when we were building out the spa, I actually did a calculation. People always say, oh, did you have a business plan? But I'm not really a business plan type. I can see where I want to go. Kind of like, you know, people who can do math really easily, I can see the end and the answer and from the start. But doing the work in between, I don't know if it bores me or I'm too lazy. 
Well, how did, how did you do that? <laughs> what, the math? No, the in-between part. Well, the in-between part, so we were really lucky. I figured out if I rent this space, and yes, it's, I think at the time it was going to be three times more expensive than the space that I had. So the Leo Castelli space was three times more expensive. And I thought, if I do facials myself, and I have nobody else who works here, and I do facials six days a week, 11 hours a day, I can still pay this rent and the taxes and the this and the that and the whatever. So I knew worst case scenario, because I did have a three year waiting list, I could cover that. I could cover it. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a little you know, radical at the time, maybe not the most responsible, but it, it made sense to me. And I already had two other people doing treatments all day long. So I knew it wasn't going to get much worse than that. Um, and I knew that if we opened, because we had this waiting list, we'd be able to fill those rooms. And then we were very lucky at the time that Vogue did write this article about one of our creams. And people, again, there was no internet, right? So when people would call, they would just leave a voicemail. So we we would get into the office and there would be 2,000 voicemails from people all over. They wanted to buy it or it was They wanted to buy it. They wanted to buy it. And so we had to clear the voicemail. And this was a bit of a panic because people were also then trying to call to get appointments, but they couldn't because the phone was ringing off the hook to buy the cream. It was a problem. So we would have to get in at about 4 o'clock in the morning to clear the voicemail from the night before because you're going from New York time to California time and then all of these people calling, right? So we then decided that was crazy, but it paid my construction. So I didn't know how I was going to pay. I mean, I knew I had about three months to kind of pay off the construction. And my contractor was really working with me. And he said, you know, I can stall these guys for 30 days and these guys probably for another 60 days and whatever. And by the time... By the time I had to pay the last bit of it, I actually had paid off the whole thing. And it was $300,000. Wow. Yeah. And I find, you know, when I hired my first employee at Nasty Gal, when I signed my first lease on a thousand square feet in a a drafty shipyard in Benicia, California, an hour from all my friends in San Francisco, there's a bit of a leap you have to take sometimes. Like everybody says, like, be responsible, hedge, make sure. And I, I do believe that. Like, don't go all in until you know that there's really an opportunity there. Yeah. But sometimes you have to like say a prayer to your future and like, okay, I'm going to pay this person. I hope that our business fills up this thing that I've now invested in. Yes. And that's the only way that I was able to bootstrap, which was, okay, I have more help here. I can take more volume. Sure. So sometimes... You got to take a leap. It's the risks. If you just... Listen, otherwise you're going to work for somebody else, yeah. right? So you either take and, uh, you know, that risk part my friend Anne, who's one of the smartest people I know, and she eventually, she used to be the head of Warner Music um, International Development, whatever, you know, some something like that. She's Big brilliant. Title. She's brilliant. She's a lawyer. She's incredibly strategic. And I remember being in a car with her and her saying to me, you know what, you're so brave. You, you have no fear. You just go out and, you know, do things and... And you don't seem to have any fear about it. And I said, you're so brave being a brilliant person with, a, you know, incredible thought process and so much to add. And you've worked for other people. That's mm-hmm. brave to me, working for people who you may not agree with and being able to being able to kind of adjust how you're feeling and and compromise. Yeah. For me, that's braver than taking a risk and doing what I want. There's, so yeah. to each person. There's no security period. No, 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 not always. Just in, in working for other people and working for yourself no. and starting businesses, everything. Is is a choice is and a it's risk, a sacrifice, risk. right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you? Do you consider yourself unemployable? Because there's the employable, <laughs> and I know that's really foreign to you. It's foreign to me. But then you know, I consider myself unemployable 
Do you? Uh, well, I have. I mean, I think after I sold Bliss, I did talk to some of the larger cosmetics companies about going in and maybe helping them, and nobody bit. Hmm. So Why? I guess I don't know. I'm not going to ask them. <laughs> I didn't care. It was like, well, I guess uh, I guess I'm, I'm. They're not. They all tried to buy us. You know, at the time we had pretty much everybody swirling around when we sold Bliss to LVMH, but they didn't want to employ me. As yeah, so I don't know if they just didn't know where to put me. Yeah, but that's okay. It works out. Look at like there's so much opportunity. You just take it and do it again. So between thirty thousand phone calls, of your cream, yeah, and selling bliss, yeah. How did you? How did you get from here to there? Um, in terms of the next one, yeah, and the next yeah. one. Did you open another one? location? Did you expand your after LVMH bought us? Or, you know, they bought a majority of us. We then, I mean, I also had a mail order catalog. So the thirty thousand phone calls, right? I knew I had to do something because people would then call up and go, oh "My God, I got this cream. I love this cream. What else do you have?" So, and we had, of course, a selection of stuff at the spa that people would, you know, come in and buy when they left. They'd all buy their skincare items, and then they would also pick up soaps or whatever the cool items were. Um, and so we made a little mail order catalog out of that. Now, I'd never done a mail order catalog before. And they don't, I mean, you have some now, right? We've gone sort of online and then now it's gone back into paper, which isn't so ecologically great, but I guess it's a way for people to recruit new customers. And um, we literally licked 30,000 stamps, got a list from the New York Public Library which was really not the thing to do, and sent him out. Wow. I know. And I had one of my customers, it actually was a, a client who was a photographer. He took all of the photographs. He was an incredible still life photographer. I had one of my clients who was an illustrator, and she did the illustrations for it. And then I was trying to find somebody who could be a writer, and I couldn't find a copywriter because I didn't know I was looking for a copywriter. I mean, I was a girl who did facials. Right. So I didn't know what a copywriter even was at the time. But I knew I loved the Jay Peterman catalog, which back then was like amazing. The, the writing, they would describe these items and you would dream about the item. The writing was so good. So I thought, you know what? I was good at English. <laughs> I'm going to write it. I can write. I can punctuate. I can, <laughs> you know, add some adjectives here and there. So we did this catalog. We sent it out. And I remember one of my clients coming in a couple of days later, and she worked for Calvin Klein. And she said, you know what? I'm going to kill you. And she said, Calvin called me, like 1130. I guess we must have had his name on the list. Mm. <laughs> somehow, from the library, somehow got a hold of the catalog and called an emergency meeting because it was so great. Wow. <laughs> so it just shows you, you can bootstrap it together, right? Like there are people you know who can take their, you know, their skills and you can kind of put something together and it can be really fresh and new. It may not be so professional, but actually professional is easy. What would your advice be to fellow entrepreneurs who are trying to develop their brand voice? Because you've created so many brands. Yeah. How do you, what does that process look like for you? I think it, it's got to be something different and it has to be authentic right that's a big buzzword right now the authenticity piece I think with any business you find if you don't actually love it or if there's nothing in it that recharges you and you can't be yourself I'm a little bit like you know how Julia Roberts you can't stop thinking she's Julia Roberts right when you go to watch a movie with Julia Roberts she's Julia Roberts you don't ever really forget that except once in a while and I think with me most of my brands are kind of me and that makes it really easy so I, I'm not so good at f sort of coming up with a voice that isn't a natural voice that just comes out of my 
out of my mouth. <laughs> so, and then you were in, okay. You were twenty nine. You were on the cover of Time Magazine. Yeah, what was Canadian Time Magazine? Okay, well that's still that's not, a not giant, bad. giant country. I told my mom, and she said, "Oh, that's great. I'll go and look at it." Wow. I said, "You think you might want to buy a copy?" Yeah, mom. <laughs> Come on, mom. Maybe buy twelve copies. Did she it? Said, I'm going to check it out. <laughs> Do you feel like it benefited you? Oh no, no. Yeah. No, I mean, that's just, you know, it's just a cover of Meg. I mean, sure, people call. I was in People, you know. Yeah. Yeah, people will call. It's usually people who either want to invest in your business or buy your business or um, certainly lots of people, you know, in Canada being on Time Magazine when your spa is in New York doesn't really do much, right? Because no, not that many people will fly from Canada to New York to get a facial. But something like People Magazine or somewhere, you know, we were in Vogue a lot. And we were in Elle and Glamour. And when, when magazines were the only place to get your information, we were super lucky to to be covered. Do you but, find that press does the same thing that it used to? Like The is, magazine press? Yeah, is press important? Um, It's a way to get the message out about what you're doing, right? And otherwise, it's word of mouth. Now, this is the, the difference between push and pull. If you do a great job at whatever it is you're doing, that's pull. And people will just talk about it. I mean, Seth Godin is really great at talking about this. He's got that book called The Purple Cow. And I remember one line from it, which is, whatever you do, make sure it's remarkable. Right? If you've got an idea, it's got to be remarkable. Meaning, not like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Meaning, easy for people to talk about. So if they're at dinner, they'll say, hey, have you heard about blah, blah, blah? Oh, my God. And then that's that's press. Mm -hmm. Everybody is press. Now, especially, right? It used to be that you'd get these big hits, like in, you know, in Vogue or whatever, and it would absolutely move the dial. And now that has been splintered into a million different little pieces. And so you got to just make sure that whatever you're doing is, is executed beautifully so people talk about it. As you know, Girlboss, we're all about staying curious and lifelong learning. It's what we're here to do on Girlboss Radio. It's what we do at the Girlboss Rally. It's what we do everywhere. And that's why I'm happy to share that Girlboss Radio is brought to you by Skillshare, which is an online community with thousands of classes for creators, entrepreneurs, and just plain curious people everywhere. You can take classes in graphic design, photography, creative writing, fine art, music production, film and video. So many other things, if you can name it, they've got it. So whether you're picking up a new skill for your day job, figuring out your next side hustle, or pursuing a long-time passion, hello, hobbies, Skillshare has classes for you. As you know, I've taken a few watercoloring classes. I'm trying to do things that I don't pick up my phone for, that I'm alone doing, that allows me to express my creativity outside of building a business, which is really hard to do. But now I'm moved on. I'm taking an awesome class called Storytelling for Leaders, How to Craft Stories That Matter. So join millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for Girlboss Radio listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Girlboss Radio listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash boss. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash boss to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash boss. I want to talk just a little bit about culture, building business, also your motivations, because you've said in an interview, and it's a really unique answer to this question, when you build a business, it's like family. Yeah. And the bigger it gets, the farther away you get as a founder. And that's why you've cashed out. And built more companies, built so many companies. So what is that? When do you know that 
what is that feeling like where you're like, okay, great, this is a family, and then you're like, hmm, maybe it's time to move on? I think when the when the daily operations are such that you actually don't get to do what you love anymore, um, and and you're, I'm not really a people manager as such. I'm more of an inspirer, and I like to actually execute. So I loved giving facials, right? So I can think about that big picture and where I want to go and what I, what kind of place I want to create for people. Um, and then I can also think about how we executing, how this stuff is shipped into the box so that when she gets this box, it's like a fairy tale that she's opening up. And I like both ends of it. And then that stuff in the middle where you are having to kind of be a psychologist or structuring things or doing, I, I'm not very good at that. So I think when my job becomes more of the running of the business rather than the big picture, um, you know, the, the vision or the small picture execution, I don't love it anymore. And I don't feel like I'm being used for what my value is in the world. And so then I think someone else could probably do that if that's what's needed better and with more love than I could. I just want to do the part that makes me happy, which is actually weirdly making other people happy. So have you sold several companies? Yeah. Did you sell them and move on? Or was there a point where you had to stick around? There Was there an earn out? Did you have to work for that company? Sure. When I sold Bliss, I had an earn out. Okay. So I, I, but you know what? I loved it because I had hired every single person who worked there. And I actually loved them. Those were, you know, that's my family. So I wanted to make sure that... They felt confident. I stayed for five years, actually, which was quite a long time. Yeah. Was your earnout five years? You stayed? At- I don't remember. Does it? Okay, just so our audience knows, what's an earnout? An earnout is when you sell a company and then you have, so it's based on a price. As long as your company is built to certain price guidelines over the next however many years, then you will make extra. So they might say, okay, we're going to buy your business for, and this is just random, I'm going to do easy math. This is not me particular, but if it's 50 million, right, we'll give you 25 now. And if in year one, you hit uh, these this much in sales, we'll give you another five. And if in year two, you hit this much in sales, we'll give you another five. And so you want to stay and they want you to stay because you're the one who's built it. And they want you to you know, continue to do what you did that made the business successful. And then you get your bonuses, you know, if you continue to do that. And nobody wants to leave their business and see it go, right? Mm -mm. Because you built something and it's part of your soul. And, And also there are all these people, I mean, at Bliss, there are still people who worked for me on the first day they still work there. And when I go to New York, sometimes I have reunion dinners. <laughs> so I can still see them. And some of them come skiing with me with their families. And, you know, so the nice. people, I really love those people. And and I keep in touch with a lot of my old clients. But now it's so great that, I mean, to have, to have Instagram and to have, you know, all of the social media that you can actually get in touch with these people that you used to see twice a month or once a month is really fantastic. So that's life-changing money. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess right? so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What What did that feel like? Uh, I was terrified. So we had made a deal with LVMH, and I was terrified that after I got the money, I wouldn't be able to do what I did anymore because somehow something in me would change, and I wouldn't be funny because I, when I write, I usually try and make it kind of enjoyable to read so that people feel happy, and that's kind of my whole thing is – how can I make people happy through whatever it is that I'm doing? Make their life better, make them feel more comfortable, make them feel more confident, just make them feel like they have a little treat and make them feel not judged and everybody's included. And I just worried that if I, 
actually suddenly had this, you know, life-changing money that I just something would turn off in my brain and I wouldn't be able to do it. You get boring. Yeah. Yeah, I was terrified. Yeah. And I remember it was I remember it was a Saturday our offices were in Brooklyn in Dumbo before anybody was in Dumbo cuz the rent was like a dollar a square foot or something. And we had this whole floor in Dumbo and I remember just thinking it, it was Saturday and I went into the office just so that cuz I usually worked Saturdays anyway and I remember sitting there and it was a Saturday after I think the money came into the bank account on Friday and I sat down at a computer just hoping I'd still be able to write funny copy <laughs> and I did it and I remember going oh my god I'm so relieved I can still do it I'm still me because you know I've been broke for so long like you know I'd never had any kind of comfort I lived on a futon with some a client when I was a personal trainer gave me their television it was that's what I had at a futon and like a television it was about eight by eight that somebody gave me and a box that had a vacuum cleaner in it and the TV sat on the box and the vacuum cleaner was inside the box and I had a futon that yeah. was what I lived with for you know six seven eight yeah. nine whatever years <laughs> I've lived with upside down milk crates with like little yeah. like like pretty little sheets over them they do a job putting my job. record player on an upside down milk crate and my you know, living room. And you know what? It's nice to have cat. I don't remember being unhappy then. No, I felt like a queen. Yeah. And you're, you're free, right? I was like, I have a spice rack. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's so big. Cool. It's all relative. Yeah. It's all relative. So you're building something called Beauty Pie now. Yeah. So exciting. You've said it's your best idea yet. It's the culmination. Yeah. Yeah. The mashup. It's the mashup. The crescendo. You know, there was um, a, a great question about like the girl boss moment, right? Which I've listened to. We'll get there. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Then I can't go there. Yeah. Okay. We'll get there. This is it. We're building to it. Okay. But beauty pie is the girl boss moment. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been building beauty pie now? Um, about four years. Because it takes a really long time to develop products, right? It's sort of 18 months, start to finish, as long as nothing goes wrong or nothing's unstable or, you know, no packaging complications, whatever. So you have to, because we have 400 products already, it takes a really long time to develop all of those. And then you want to kind of come out and have a good you know, breadth of selection. And so we had to start really early and then do some testing. And, you know, we're still kind of in the test phase. Um, but it is the the big, I suppose, the risky moment where I just think, you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm doing this. People are going to kind of hate me, but so many more people are going to love me for this that I have to do it. And I remember thinking of the idea and thinking, oh, oh my God, I can't do that. The industry will kill me. Mm. And then thinking, oh my God, I have to do that. So why would the industry be mad? Tell us what it is. proposition of Beauty Pie. Okay, Beauty Pie is factory supplier, third-party luxury factory direct luxury beauty products. So instead of, okay, typically, if you buy a face cream for $200, it's unlikely that it costs more than $20 to make. Because how the industry works now is that the big retailers will take 60 or 70% of the price. And then you have to back out of that to pay all your overheads. So you'll have a goal as a typical or mainstream luxury beauty company of a cost of goods of 8%. So a finished product in a jar, in a box, will probably be 8% of what you eventually retail it for. So when you go buy a $100 face scrub, right? Or uh, anti-aging serum for $200. It actually costs to make about a tenth of that, if that. And I've known this 
for 25 years. But there was no way to build a business without going through that kind of distribution. Because if you want to get big, you've got to go into those big retailers. But they, the markup, just by going into a retailer, is probably triple. And then there's all the other overhead that comes with it. And I just thought, you know what? This is wrong, right? It just isn't fair for women to be paying that much and getting that little. Now, there's the Me Too movement. There are all of these, you know, women deserve more. It's just a theme yeah. that we're finally realizing. You've been scammed. <laughs> you know, in many ways, we are not given the credit we deserve, right? We're not necessarily given a great deal in many ways. And I thought, you know, I've done four or five businesses. Women have always been so supportive of me. They're always buying what I'm selling. They're always coming and having facials. And I have been given that gift from so many people over so many years. And I just thought, wouldn't it be amazing? I was leaving one of the labs, and it's actually one of the leading cosmetic manufacturers, and everybody uses them. And once a year, they have an open house day, and you go in, and you're in a room beside, you know, Tom Ford's people, and Bobby Brown's people, and then Yves Saint Laurent's people, and Charlotte Tilbury's people, and they actually put you in these kind of booths, and they have the name of your brand or company out on the wall, and then you go in, and they bring the collection that they've worked on for the last year, and all the new formulas to you, and you try everything, and then they give you which samples you want to take, and try further, and then you basically order those. Wow. Yeah, that's how it works. And it's very similar with, with skincare, except with skincare, you if you're uh, educated about the different ingredients, you can add your own ingredients in, but they'll show you textures. And sometimes they'll show you finished product that they've dreamt up, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll actually even give you themes. This is the theme of this year using trend forecasting services. They'll use them and present you with the trends. So many cosmetic and beauty companies just buy straight off the shelf. Is it exclusive to them? No. No, the packaging is exclusive to them. Mm-hmm. So so we'll have the same lipstick as several other luxury brands just in, you know, beauty pie packaging. And we show everybody exactly what that product costs to make. And if you're a member, you can buy it for that plus what it costs us to warehouse. Member. What does that mean? Uh, so it's a membership. So beauty pie is, is like, a, I guess, like a luxury cosmetics Costco. Mm-hmm. Right? So you go in and... You can buy this stuff. We source it from all the best labs around the world. So we don't just get it from one lab. That's the 30 years of having sourced from all these different places. So we have an incredible um, supply factory. chain. <laughs> oh, yeah, the supply chain is kind of nuts. And that's not my forte, but we're doing our best. Weird words. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to have it, though. And, and when we run out of stuff, that is not good because people are paying to be members and we want to make sure that all of our our best-selling items are always in stock. We have different categories of stock, never out of stock, core items, in and out, trend. (laughs) And so we always make sure that we have overlap of certain uh, amounts of product. But we source from Japan. We source the best lab in Japan. And you know what's really funny? I found out through someone who I know who works for Shiseido who also uses this lab that all the other mainstream luxury brands are now sourcing from this lab when they didn't before, but they saw us doing Japan Fusion, Mm -hmm. and now they're going there too. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of great to think, you know, now we're actually leading. Always been a trendsetter. I do my best, but I'm just looking for the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So we source Japan, Korea, France, Italy, Germany, the UK, the US, and we bring in like all the best hair care, skin care, makeup, candles, fragrance. Wow. Yeah. Everything that we can find that we love and we think, all right, 
is this amazing? And then we put it up on the site, and it's still beautifully packaged. It looks like luxury. It is luxury product, but we don't add the 900% markup. Yeah, and it's all direct-to-consumer. You can do that because you're going directly to... Do you have stores? So you've been in Europe. Yeah, we've been in Europe, and we were just sort of testing and kind of honing and perfecting. And so we launched this month officially in America. Wow. Yeah. I have an affinity for cute gym wear, especially when it's affordable and high quality, which is why I'm super excited to partner with Fabletics. You've probably heard of it. It's a fashion-focused activewear brand co-founded by Kate Hudson with a mission to empower women by making a healthy, active lifestyle accessible to everyone because of its exceptional price point. I've read reviews online. The stuff is amazing. Just got my new shipment in yesterday. I'm obsessed with the Mila high-waisted pocket capri and the Mila medium impact sports bra in black. The material is super stretchy, lightweight, durable, and comfortable. And Fabletics also releases brand new styles, collections, and prints every month. And if you become a VIP with Fabletics, you get up to 50% off regular pricing and instant access to their latest collections. And now Fabletics is offering Girlboss Radio listeners an incredible deal. You don't want to miss. Get two leggings for only $24. That's a $99 value. When you sign up to become a VIP, just go to fabletics.com slash girlboss to take advantage of this deal now. That's fabletics.com slash girlboss to get two leggings for only $24. That's $12 a piece. The best part is that there is no commitment to purchase monthly and you get free shipping on all orders over $49. Also, make sure you enter in your email address when you take the style quiz, as you'll receive exclusive discounts and the inside scoop about new collections that haven't been released yet. Go to fabletics.com slash girlboss. Again, fabletics.com slash girlboss. Terms and conditions do apply. I want to take a quick moment to check in with you, dear listener. If you are enjoying my chat with Marcia Kilgore, and I hope you are, well, I have some great news for you. You get to chat with her too. You can ask Marcia for some direct advice next week on girlboss.com, our professional network on the internet. Marcia is hosting our next digital fireside on November 14th. Every week, we host Digital Firesides, and it's where we invite incredibly accomplished women from a variety of fields to go online in the Girlboss community and answer questions with our members. So if you've been listening along and want the chance to ask Marcia some of your own questions, you can do that on girlboss.com. You can ask her about what it's been like to launch and sell multiple businesses, how she finds her next idea, or any other topic you'd like to talk about. All right, so remember, Digital Fireside, Marcia Kilgore, November 14th. Girlboss.com, make your beautiful profile, connect with other women. And if you're already signed up for the Girlboss community, we'll send you a nice little reminder that it's happening. Okay, now let's get back to my conversation with Marcia. And sustainability is built into the uh, business. So important, yeah. right? Yeah. Why did you choose to do that? Do you, how important do you think that is? I think everybody's responsible. Yeah. We can't say, oh, somebody else is going to do it. So we're really working. I mean, the packaging industry with cosmetics is quite uh, terrible, right? Even if you ask for recycled compacts or you know, to use recycled plastic, there isn't any. So we actually forced one of our suppliers, who's one of the biggest packaging suppliers, to start doing compacts in recycled plastic. And we were the only person who asked. So nobody else has asked them to actually make their compacts mm-hmm. in recycled plastic, which I find shocking. So 
we do that. We use recycled plastic in our bottles. We try not to have things that have too many overshells or nothing like super ornate, right? Because it's just landfill. So we try and make it beautiful but simple. And then wherever we can incorporate, you know, recycled plastic or, you know, something that's less environmentally unfriendly, we do. And then we're always working on it because there is now, because there is demand, there's more materials coming. You have more leverage too. Uh, yes. The larger you get. Yeah, you can make an impact. We can, but it's still it's still tough because you've got to do compatibility testing, and and so the new materials aren't always ready for it. So it'll be some time, but I think at least if we're if we're thinking about it and we're worried about it, then other people will start thinking about it, and then customers will demand it, and that's the most important thing. So you've worked a lot in your you've worked a lot. You still work a lot. You're an introvert. Yeah. So we just compared Myers Briggs types. We're the same. We're both INTPs, yeah. but we've both figured out how to be extroverted enough to get the job done. But for us, we need to recharge. Yes. Being alone. And you are schooling me on how you do that. <laughs> I haven't figured out those coping skills yet. So we can we can Google search this yeah. after. How do you avoid burnout? How do you make sure you're taking care of yourself as an introvert? Well, you know, first the mindset part of I'm doing this because I'm choosing to do it, right? So you can um, you can always think that I'm so burnt out and this is impossible. But then if you bring it all back to the fact that this is your choice. So you ch- it's my choice to be doing this to myself every day. And if I'm totally stressed out and I have a list a mile long and I don't know when I'm going to do it, I made that choice for myself and I don't have to choose that. So just bringing it back around to go, you know what? I chose this because this is better than any other choice that I've got. And I actually love it more than any other choice. As soon as you realize it's all your responsibility and your choice, A, the stress level goes down by about 80%, right? And then, have you heard of Byron Katie? No. Oh my God. I'll send you a book. So she's great too, because she will say, okay, when you have a stressful thought, you will think, who, okay, is this thought true, right? And if you just stop and go, okay, I'm, or this means this, and then stop and go, wait, is this even true? And who would you be without the thought that that was true? And then you kind of wind it back to think, actually, I don't know that that's true. Then your stress drops also. But I would highly recommend everybody learns their Myers-Briggs and then understands how to cope when they're feeling stressed and what to do about that and what kinds of situations make them stressed so that they can request from people around them to be mindful of that. Yeah. What do you do? What do I do to not be stressed? Yeah. I need a lot of information. If I'm excluded from information, it's highly stressful for me. So I'll tell somebody, look, just give me a report once a day. I don't care if it's good or bad. I don't care if the numbers are great or terrible. I just need to know them. Because if you if you don't tell me those, I will assume they're bad. So just give me reports. Drown me in information. I'll feel a lot better. I do extreme exercise. That really helps me. What, is, what does that mean? How many days a week? How long? Okay, well, I haven't done it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but when I can, I'll do hot yoga, right? Because it's so hard that I have to just focus on staying alive. Or I often put a weighted backpack on and like hike up a hill or a mountain. And in the winter, I will actually, you, you know, do you know what skinning is? No. You put skins on the bottom of skis and then you hike up a mountain and then you ski down. And you're so tired by the time you get to the top that you're relaxed because all that energy that's spinning around in your head is spent. So those are good. And also connecting with friends and connecting with family and actually with Beauty Pie. Because we've got, you know, 100,000 people on Instagram telling us how great it is, we 
that helps me because they're like my friends. And so I just go and I just read how happy people are because of it. And then I feel recharged because, you know, other people will lift you up. You mentioned family. Yeah. You're a mom. I am. I have two boys. How do you make time? You know, how do you make sure that that you get to be a mom on top of everything that you're doing? You know, when I get home, they're teenagers. So it's a different stage. I think when they're littler, it's harder. When they're teenagers, they kind of don't want to have anything to do with you. So (laughs) I can get home from work and I kind of stick my head in their room and, you know, hi, I give them a hug. And then they're like, mom, you know, mom, go away, mom. So I actually get more free time now because they don't want to be near me. But I think somebody said to me that the most important thing for your kids, especially if you're, I mean, I'm sure it's the same if you're a dad, but if you're a woman, is showing them the example of women who are strong and women who work and that women go out and contribute and hard work is an example that you want to set for them. So actually there's nothing wrong with working really hard and showing them that you work hard and that there are sacrifices to be made if you want to get ahead. And that might mean that you don't spend as much time with them or you're on holiday and you're sitting in the hotel room. Like to this day, all summer long when we're on holiday, I'm usually on my computer, except at night when we're having dinner or maybe I escape for lunch. Yeah. But, you know, it's a good example to set for them because they see how you can get ahead and they see how you can make your dreams come true. And it's not easy. It's never easy. Right. You're doing it probably until you keel over. And I'm okay with that. It's my choice. Do you think you will be? I love it. I like, you know, weirdly, I might be an INTP, but weirdly, I still love to be connected and in the game. And I don't want to be lonely or isolated. I want to I kind of want to be in the middle of it. And so I that's kind of now I do it for fun because it's a challenge it's mental stimulation I love beauty products I mean mm-hmm. and I get free beauty products that's nice. <laughs> although I do have my membership and I order like everybody else just so I can experience what it's like to get the box and and make sure that it's all going really well um but yeah I I think it's it's important to kind of stay connected that's in the world, you know, who wants to be a solo island. Mm-hmm. And so I do it by working. So I know you read a lot of books. Information's really important to you. What are some of your favorite books for our listeners who are entrepreneurs, career entrepreneurial so in their ones. careers? Yeah. So oh my God. I can you know what? I'll send you a list too. Ju- okay. Just in case. Maybe I'll just send you all the books. Okay. Okay. There's a really great one which I bought in an airport. It's called The Art of Thinking Clearly. And it's by a guy named Rolf Dobelli. I'd never heard of him. It just looked like a good kind of airport read. And it takes about 45 minutes to read. But if you read each chapter just kind of slowly, you realize your cognitive biases and how you will repeat them. And it's so easy to make so many mistakes just because your brain will automatically switch into these biased modes. So that one I think everyone should read like once a year. There's a great one if you're already in business and you're, you know, running a business or even small, large, whatever, called Principles by Ray Dalio, who is, you know, everyone said he was this crazy hedge fund manager. I I listened to it and I was nodding so much because I actually I didn't read it. I was just audio booking it. I was nodding so much. I almost got whiplash like that. It was so true. Everything that he says is what I've learned and what I wish I would have learned 20 years ago. And so if, if you can read that or listen to it and then just absorb it and believe it, it's all correct. Like all of it are lessons that I've learned and I wish that I would have 
just been born with all of those lessons because he's so right, so right on about so many different things. Um, there's a really great one called Getting Things Done by David Allen. That's a great one, right? Every January, everybody should read that one because it's just all about how to get more out of your day. And we, we're all kind of, you know, we, we fall into bad habits. And that when you're efficient and you get stuff done, you really feel more motivated about everything. Um, there's a thousand more. Okay. Well, yeah. we, we have a digital fireside coming up with you. Oh, great. I'll have my list of On the Girlboss community. And so. Perfect. I'll make sure I, that. I'm going to be ready. Okay. <laughs> Copy and paste. Uh, what do you, what do you wish you'd learned 20 years ago? What's the number? Like, let's just not, you know, one, one thing can, that you do wish you would learn 20 years ago that had you nodding when you were reading Ray Dalio's book. Um, it's probably better to be respected than to be liked. You can't always please everybody. You have to go with your gut instinct. And if you feel like there's an albatross hanging around your neck, it is. Let it let it fly. So we talked about girl boss moments. We said we'd get to it and we're there. Yeah. What, what What's your most recent girl boss moment? Okay, I did fire someone who no one else believed should have been fired. And it was someone who was pretending to do a lot and I was flagging that said person was not doing really anything but was great at talking about it and it was quite difficult between all the advisors to convince everyone you know the we have board members and you know how it is yeah uh, but I knew it in my gut you know that gut instinct where you just think and it was killing me and it was just draining my energy and I pushed through it and the albatross flew. And it's so interesting. Sometimes <laughs> when you fire someone where you know that's the case, not everybody will know, but when someone leaves and then nothing changes. Yes, oh, that's exactly it. There's no work to catch because they weren't doing any. Interesting. Oh, we're, we're fine. I don't have to replace them. That's, yes. you know, you did the right thing. So um, one of the things we explore on Girl Boss Radio is this concept of success. You know, you're, you have a very kind of like, this is, you know, you've sold multiple businesses. You've had an incredibly accomplished career. Success can mean so many things. What does it mean to you? It's evolution. It's also the meaning of life. Just getting a bit better every time. There's no, I think there's no end to the journey. But being able to learn and do things better and be more aware and try and absorb your mistakes and, and learn from them. There's a great quote from a guy who I watched speak at my kid's school. He was a blind Paralympic skier. And he said, you know what? I never lose. I either win or I learn. How much better than that does it get? It doesn't get much better. No. Marcia, thank you so much for coming on Girl Boss Radio. What a pleasure. This has been so great. Thanks. I want to give a big thank you to Marcia for coming on Girl Boss Radio. It is such a pleasure to be able to learn from someone who really knows what it takes to go from an idea to a startup to a solid business that if you want to, you can sell then to a larger partner. I learned a lot and I hope you did too. And as always, if you liked what you heard on the show today, please go ahead, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've already done that, please take a minute and write a quick review for Girl Boss Radio. It's a simple way that you can help us spread the word about the show because we want Girl Boss Radio to reach more listeners and you can help us by doing that. Rating, reviewing, and sharing with all of your friends. Okay, that's it. Bye, guys.